and just the, the, just the formation of the church and those kinds of things. And so early on, we said, who runs the church and who is in charge of the church? And we made an emphatic push that Jesus is the lead pastor of this church. And he is the lead pastor of every church. Amen? I mean, this is, this is his deal, not ours. And then we saw that in Philippians, Philippians 1.1, that Jesus then looks to a couple of offices and a couple of groups of people to help run and govern the church. First and foremost, he gives elders. And so these are men who are set apart by God to, to shepherd the flock of, of his church. And so whether uh, they are leading, all right, these men are leading, or whether they are guiding or they are protecting, these are the key shepherds, these are the key um, uh, just overseers or pastors of the church. And another office, another position that he gives is deacons. And so today, um, we're going to actually bring into this space uh, two individuals that we have been training and two individuals that we are really, really excited about introducing to you. If you were not here last week, uh, that was where the full teaching on deacons and our understanding of deacons. And so we would encourage that you go ahead and uh, go backwards a week if uh, you have some questions on that. Or just simply seek out a pastor, seek out one of us, and we'll be glad to sit down and kind of talk through just where we believe and what we believe about this amazing role as deacons. But the, just a brief overview is that a deacon is a servant. He or she, as we ex uh, explained last week, he or she, are, these are servants of Christ Jesus for the local body of believers. And these are people, these are men and women who lead up key initiatives of the local body of believers. And so that's what we're, we're going to do at the end of our service. But in carrying on as far as who runs the church and who's in charge of the church, today we're actually going to talk about the whole we're going to talk about the congregation. We're going to talk about the uniqueness and the beauty of what happens right here in this space Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it is remarkable to understand just where our place is this morning. It's about 10.15, 10.18 Eastern Standard Time. But sometime over the course of this day, starting, I guess, in New Zealand and ending up wherever in the Pacific, for 24 hours, there, have been, there will be probably a couple of billion of people stop in their tracks and to give a portion of this day to Jesus, to lift up their praises to Jesus together. And that's the point of this morning, is the idea that there is something that is going on that's unique right here, that we are a part of something supernatural. And it's called the congregation. It's called about what we are able to do together that we are not able to do apart. If you live in the South, you simply say, we're going to church, right? How many of your mom and dad said, you know, all right, everybody, get up. We are going to church. Anybody, anybody's mom say that? Anybody? Okay. All right. All right. As for me in this house, by golly, we're going to church. It's Sunday. And so everybody's like, I don't want to go to church. Well, we go to church in this household. That's what we do. And so that's, what, that's how it happens. But it really, and because I'm long gone on Sunday mornings, Nicole holds most of the weight. And so a little bit, this goes on at our house, is that you, you smell the children first. Uh, we have six of them, right? And even though you can bathe them, 
Within one hour, right, these, these jokers, these little monsters, somehow they're already dirty and they already smell like pancake syrup. So I'm not sure how that happens, but I just, I just know that you smell them first and they smell a little bit tainted, right? But there's just, there's no time to like run them through a bath at this hour. And so this is the first time and only time that um, we as parents allow Axe body spray to be sprayed onto sm- small humans, right? But at this point, anything goes, right? Like, we got to get these people to church. I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're like, we, got, we are on a mission. And so whether it's breakfast or Axe body spray, the big fog or whatever, like it's just all go because we got someplace to be in this church, right? That's where we're, that's where we're headed. We all get into the car, right? Most of you get in the car and someone's forgotten the diaper bag. You got to go back inside. You go back inside and whoever you sent inside comes out and says, we forgot to let off the dog. You got to go back in, out, back in outside put the dog out gotta feed the dog come on people we got to go because where are you going you're going to church right and we got to get there and if it's red redstone it's somewhere between 10 and 10 30 you know you just got to show up it's just somewhere in here like we're just trying to go so dad's speeding he's barking he's yelling right he's flying up uh, Providence Avenue, if that's even a name. He's hitting the speed bumps. You know, breakfast is going everywhere. I mean, it's just, we're going to church. You walk through those doors, right? The hospitality team, they're smiling. They're saying, how are you? Brothers and sisters popping you on the back. How are you? And you simply say, most mornings I made it. That's all I got, right? I'm, I'm here. And so for you and me, I just want it as, you know, your pastor, I just want you to know I know what it takes to get here. You made it. Thanks. Not for me, not for us, but that somehow you put some other priorities, whether it be sleep or something else, you put that aside and you said this was important. The main idea this morning is that good things happen. Maybe even great things happen. Maybe even supernatural things happen when you show up. I can't explain it. But something good happens. Maybe great, maybe even supernatural happens when you show up because God's here. God promises that he would dwell among his people. He's here this morning. And whether you like it or not, whether you want to be here or not, whether your motivations are pure or not, you're here. And in a, maybe even in the smallest kind of way, you're telling the Lord, I have hope that something's going to happen. And it really is a beautiful thing. Um, last week and the weeks before, we just keep asking, like, who's running the church? We got to believe that Jesus says, I build my church, right? And the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's something beautiful that he's building. Like a great craftsman, right, with nails and a, a miter saw. Don't even know what that, if that's even right. I don't know if that's the motion. Anthony? This, this, from top to bottom, right? With them, see, that's why we don't, that's why we don't, we only record this stuff. We don't film it, right? It, it would look three times worse than it sounds. So. Um, but with a miter saw, just the skills that he is building the church. And so we're so thankful for that. And so this morning, we're just talking about the congregation a little bit. What does it really mean uh, to gather here on, in a supernatural way? We got to believe that Jesus knows a little, little bit about the church. He's building it. 
we got to believe that he, it's important to him because he says that his blood, that he is purchasing the church with his blood, that we are a possession of his. And that's, that's what his blood purchases for us is a people, right? Not steeples and not buildings, right? He's, you know, he's buying for himself a people. And so a few billion people today, whether they are in a grassy hut or under a tree or maybe even a steeple or in some gym in North Johnson City, he says, this matters to me. It's a really big deal to me. And so thanks for being here this morning. All right, so first and foremost, we know that Jesus is building his church and he understands that whatever this is, this gathering, we have to understand what it means. All right, so write down a fancy little word for me. It's called ecclesia, okay? Uh, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, ecclesia. All right, that's a fancy word. It's an it's a old word. It simply means church, <laughs> okay? So that's, what we, that's where we get this idea of church, ecclesia. And so uh, if you go back to some old terms, you understand that ecclesia means the gathered ones, okay? You get that? We're the gathered ones or the, simply the assembly or the congregation. What is happening right here is church. Welcome to church, everybody, all right? Because church is where people bought by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, where their, their sins are paid for by Jesus, gather together and do something together that you can't do all by yourself. You can pray by yourself. You can study the word by yourself. You can sing songs to Jesus by yourself, but you can't collect all these people except for a few times scattered throughout the week. For us, it's Sunday mornings. Because we're, doing, we're able to do something out in public that we were doing all week long in private, but we're able to do something out in public so that other people can keep us accountable. That there's something beautiful about this idea of unison. Unison, being able to do something in unity. Remember Jesus says that they will know us by your love, but what will be one of the, the unbelievable characteristics of God's people is that they will be unified. They will be able to do things together. What did we just spend the last 15 minutes doing? Singing together, right? Yes, you can sing those same, same songs in your car, but you need an environment. You actually need to hear other people in the background, in the foreground, and leading you. You actually need to stand up and sit down together. You actually need to use these lungs to fill up a room like this together. It's something special and beautiful. In the same way, you can pray all day long, but there is something special about being synced up, right, together in prayer and praying similar prayers together. You could study your Bible, but there is something about God using a passage and getting a hundred or so people on the same page at the same time. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. This is what Jesus calls the church, just the gathered ones. When we stop what we're going to do, we instead make a priority to lift Jesus's name up together. It really is a beautiful thing. And so, um, what exactly happens uh, when you get together? All right, turn to Hebrews 10. All right, you have those, that in your Bibles. Or like um, Sam said, we have it printed on the front of your worship guide. Now, we would encourage you to make 
notes on your, on your sermon guide. We would encourage you to go home and sing those songs uh, with your families. Uh, talk through this passage as a family. We really want that to be a tool for you and your family. So um, we don't mind throwing them away at the end of the day, but we'd rather send them home with you. All right. We'd rather you use that as a tool throughout, throughout the week. Now, but let me just read it one more time so that we can kind of sync up together. Ten, uh, Hebrews 10, 23 and following. Um, I'll, have, I'll just pause at kind of the pronouns, especially the plural ones. Uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You, you, you're hit almost immediately that this passage is talking about us, the whole, the corporate, the congregation. Make sense? So let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You see that now without wavering for he who promised is faithful verse 24 let us there it is again another plural pronoun that's very very important let us consider how to stir up one another one another right that's that's us corporately stir up one another that's many many people to love and good works and so that's what we're able to do we're holding fast to a confession we understand that we all plural have a hope now we're able to stir one another up towards something that is love lovely and full of good works verse 25 not neglecting but there's I think there's an implied let us not all right so this we just keep carrying on this 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 plural pronoun not neglecting to meet together as as in the habit of some but continuing plural to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near over and over and over and over you see this um, I see three conclusions real quick. The three conclusions are that um, together we are to make a formal commitment to one another. All right, so we need to, we'll talk about formality a little bit. Uh, the second thing I see is that there is some interpersonal uh, commitment toward one another. So it's not just a formal commitment, but secondly, we see uh, like an interpersonal, this one another idea, this interpersonal uh, commitment to one another. And then lastly, there's this commitment to proximity. Proximity is just this, loca- this location. You're actually sitting next to someone. You may or may not know that person. That's okay. But there's a, there's a commitment to proximity or, or, uh, or, or location. And so we'll see all three of these. But first and foremost, this idea of a formal commitment. Let us hold fast to the confession. The confession is something that we need to take very seriously. That there is a confession There is a basis of our faith that we all have to sync up with and there's a confession that we all have to believe on because it is our hope and it is without wavering because it is based on the one who is promised is faithful. It's based on Jesus. Early on, creeds, C-R-E-E-D, creeds were very, very important. So early, the early church would come out with the Apostles' Creed. Look it up. Google the Apostles' Creed. We would agree with the Apostles' Creed. It is still very beautiful and, 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 and relevant to us. The second thing is the Nicene Creed, all right? N-I-C-E-N-E, the Nicene Creed. Again, very ancient, old text, but we would fall underneath this orthodox understanding of what these creeds mean. Basically, this is how we believe. All right, last week we talked about closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. These are closed-handed issues that we will literally fight on any mountain or over any hill on. These are the things that we hold very, very dear. It's important to realize that this is plural. This is our confession. Meaning, you have to subject yourself. You have to put yourself in, in submission 
to something that the corporate understands. Because what confessions does is they don't leave you all by yourself. They know that you're in danger when you're all by yourself. And so whether it's the Nicene Creed or whether it's the Apostles' Creed, whether it's our personal statement of faith, we understand that this is what we believe at a corporate uh, level. Um, if you're a member at Redstone or if you're just a, you've been attending, it's important that you read our statement of faith so that you can say, yeah, I believe that. And so with that thumbs up, that's what you're doing in verse 23. You're saying we are going to hold onto an, a confession that's not ours. But when, the, when everything's said and done, when everything kind of closes, we close the door, we believe in the gospel. The gospel truly is our good news is that we need a rescuer, that because of our sin, we are far from the Lord. And what we need to make a commitment to is that God is our pursuer, that he is our rescuer. And when we were dead in our sins, when we were far from God, he pursued us. In the same way that we see in the garden, where, where Adam and Eve have sinned and are walking away in sin and shame and hiding, what do we see God do? He's in hot pursuit of sinners who are hiding and full of shame. And so this is the good news, is that we have a rescuer who will not leave us in our sin, but actually come and find us in our sin. And he's not ashamed of our shame. We're ashamed of our shame, but he's not ashamed of our shame. He's actually coming to cover us and to complete us. That is the good news of the gospel, is that we have one who has redeemed us with a costly gift of his own life to cover our sin and our shame forever and ever and ever. That's the good news. And so if we're gonna be a confessional people, we come full and we come hard with the ideal that the gospel is all that we have. This is what we believe. Earlier in Hebrews chapter three, it says, consider Jesus. Some of you in here may be far from Jesus. We would have you consider him this morning in a very formal way, maybe not just a statement of faith or, or even doctrinally, but for you to consider with your confession that I believe that Jesus is the only way to get to the father. You could do that this morning. You could do that by simply crying out to him and say, I don't wanna trust in myself. The only thing that I'm good for is running and hiding and feeling guilty about myself and my sin and my shame. But Jesus is able to cover all that up for us. So that's our formal commitment to one another. All right, so the second thing that we see is we just keep on going. We said, let us hold fast to this confession of our hope. But then in verse 24, we say, let us, all right, more plural. This is not just um, you singular. Now, we believe in the singular. That's next week. The Lord is my shepherd. So we'll make it very personal. But right now, right, the, the corporate matters. Let us consider, let us make a mental note on how to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is remarkable. That we should consider how we are to do a few things for other people. This is the onus is on you for other people. Let us, that's all of us, consider, make out a map play, a strategic plan on how to stir up or spur one another on toward love and good deeds or good works. And this is really, really remarkable. And so we are to consider just this idea of this, this commitment to each other. This is an interpersonal commitment over and over and over throughout the New Testament. This little phrase, one another, happens all throughout the pages of the New Testament because Jesus wanted us to be a unit. 
He wanted us and he formed us to be a body or a family, right? A unit. That's what he wants for us. And he wants us to encourage, to spur, to push in on each other's lives. This is a commitment to do something with all of us. Daniel McIntosh, a lot of money lately. And so um, if um, you're mad at anybody, be mad at Daniel, all right? So we buy an, or we rent an office and it's amazing that seven months ago, we didn't own a stapler. We didn't own anything, but now, man, you're like, wow, we've got to, you've got to buy stuff to survive, including the very first thing is a coffee maker. I mean, if you're going to drag up some sorry people up there in the morning, I mean, you've got to give them some caffeine so they can wake up and be productive, those kinds of things. So he goes out and he buys a ninja. Have you heard about these things? They're, they're amazing little, uh, little things, these little inventions. They don't just do coffee. They do so many other things mainly on the on the outside there's this little like thing that like vibrates or does like froths things and so I don't know why but we buy like the heavy whipping cream and when you froth that stuff I mean it's like a champagne bottle that just bursts it's crazy there's very little coffee when you when you do that but that's what it that's what this means that you're stirring up one another right you're stirring up you're I mean you're frothing it up Okay, that's what your job is, okay? Put it down. My job is to froth one another, right? Said no one ever in any pulpit, but that's okay. All right, we're, we're on the cusp, on the cutting edge of things. I mean, we are stirring it up, right? But it's toward something. It's toward love and it's toward good works, which is only, again, what we, our commitment is, which is the gospel, the gospel understands love by not just this huggy, kissy kind of love, but instead this love is sacrificial. For this is how you know what love is, First John 3 would say. This is how you would know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. So we now know that love is now defined by sacrifice, that Christ loved his church so much that he, that he gave himself for her. And so what we are doing, froth, right, it really is a sacrificial moment of love toward one another, pouring out, a stirring up of love or sacrifice for other people because that's when we feel the most alive in both ways. The idea is reciprocal, right? The idea is that when you sacrifice for someone else, Take, for instance, hospitality. When you open up your life into other, open up your doors for someone else to come and enjoy a safe place when they're in hard times or a warm place when they're cold or feed them a meal that they do not have, when you're able to do that, guess what? Your spirit comes alive because you're giving yourself to other people. And in the same way, the person that is cold or hungry right, or in a very, very bad place. That act of love makes them alive. And so that's why it's so important that we understand it's not just a formal commitment, but what we're doing on an interpersonal level is that we are committed to one another. Take, for instance, um, I should have printed this out for everybody, but there's 59 of these, one another's. I'm just gonna fly through a couple of these. Now, these are all in uh, the New Testament. It says to be at peace with each other, to wash each other's feet, to love one another, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to honor one another above yourselves, to live in harmony with one another, stop passing judgment on one another, accept one another, 
just as Christ has accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will destroy, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not be conceited, provoking or envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another. One another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, count one another better than yourselves. And I'm just halfway through the list. You get the understanding of what this little verse in Hebrews is telling us to do. Is we are literally to stir or to spur one another on toward love and good works. This idea that love is sacrificial. And these good works, this good, this gospel, this good news, this good works is this gospel, this supernatural work for one another. We have the power as a group together to protect one another. It really is powerful. It really is powerful. This week, listening to NPR, I learned a little bit about farming I uh, know nothing about farming, right? So I was, I was with, with bated breath. I was just on the edge of my seat listening to this, this interview. It was really crazy. But the idea is that um, um, uh, edamame, which is like a soybean, whatever, um, it's being choked out by weeds. And so all these edamame farmers out there are trying to figure out a way for the, the bead to actually come into uh, maturation. And so the way that they are able to do that, because the weeds of today's era, our weeds are just immune to herbicides. And so just this weed killer will not work. And so what they do is they plant a cover crop, all right? Didn't know what a cover crop was, right? But here is the implication is what the cover crop does is before you seed or before you plant, you actually plant something before you plant the, 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 the thing. And so the farmer goes in with, let's just say, rye, and they plant it as a cover crop. But it's so thick and so potent and so strong that it keeps all weeds at bay. And so then you're able to plant whatever you want to plant because the, the, the ground is ready to receive the plant without weeds. In the same way, the body of Christ Jesus is a cover crop. We are protecting each other from all kinds of weeds that will get in each other's lives. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need one another. We need to protect one another. We need, I need you and you need me and it, it all works reciprocal together and it really is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Last but not least, this idea is that we are committed to proximity. This idea that uh, we're here in this space on Sunday morning. And so Hebrews 10 goes on to say, it says this, it says, uh, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. But do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some. I, if I were you, I would encourage I would circle the word habit. Um, it's easy to forsake the assembly. You can come up with all kinds of excuses and they're really good excuses. 
But you can come up with all kinds of reasons not to step into a space like this. But I hope that this morning I've been convincing enough that there's enough grace being poured out here that you need to be here. And so there are seasons where sickness is going to take you out. There's going to be seasons when when new uh, family member will, will take you out. There's going to be seasons where you just are unable to be here, and that's fine and that's good. But we need to be fighting for this idea of not neglecting, neglecting to meet together. This together, what happens here, really is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So this commitment to be the church, to gather as the church. The reformers, before every church service, would stand up and, and they would quote Psalm 122.1. And they would simply say with a bellowing voice, I rejoice with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's what they said out loud and strong. Likewise, Psalm 111, praise the Lord. I will personally give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. This is my job, with my whole heart in the company of the upright inside the congregation. That's Psalm 111.1. This is a warning. This is a warning for you not to neglect something that is so very powerful. You shouldn't neglect it because God is present here. He loves his people and he wants to speak to his people. In the fall, winter of 1996, for two weeks I had been having dreams these dreams that um, were pretty convincing that I was far from Jesus. And even though a pretty religious dude, um, rebellious religious dude, but um, I knew how to clean up for church. I knew how to show up to please my mom, basically. Um, but for two weeks, I've been having these, these dreams and it was the Lord telling me, Spencer, you're in bad shape. You're not in this, the space you think you are. You really are far from Jesus. And on a Sunday night, it was a Christmas service. Uh, it was actually a, a communion service. And one of the reasons that I love communion so much is because of that night. But um, the church was darkened. It was a pretty somber um, atmosphere. We were about to approach the Lord's table. And there was a lady. Her name was Diane Long. And she stood up and she simply said, she only talked for a few minutes. But she says, um, for a very long time, I was far from Jesus. And I was like, that's the same phrase I've been hearing. I better listen to this lady. And she goes on to say that for the longest time, she was a preacher's wife. And she would sit in rows and seats like what you're sitting in now. And week after week, she would hear gospel messages or she would hear things. But she was able to live her entire young adulthood and even marry a minister and sit in church services after church services until Jesus spoke to her very personally and says, you are far from me. That night, for whatever reason, a hoodlum who was making a mess of his life walked into the back of a church and sat on the very back row. But I heard that phrase that night. And if a lady who was married to a minister could be far from Jesus. That was the only proof I needed that I was far from him. It's important that we not neglect what happens here. Good things happen here. Great things happen here. Even supernatural things happen here. 
take a lot for you to get here. A lot of effort and energy for you to drag yourself out of bed. I would include to go ahead and push a little farther for you not just to show up, but for you to show up expecting that God is here to meet either you or someone else. As a pastor and a preacher, Confession 101, there's a lot of Sundays I don't want to be here. I don't know why, but something gets a hold and Saturday night filled with doubt, shame, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to show up. For whatever reason, the Lord's been faithful. Continue to drag me out of bed, get me here. And Sunday after Sunday, as I stand here or sit there, as I kind of mill around in the back of the room, I understand why this is God's design for us. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd be with a few buddies talking about the gospel. I come alive, in those, but that's not my design. My design, the way God created me, was to be here and to do this. This is important. So we should not neglect this. Remember that it is a warning first. Do not neglect this. And it's a warning because God knows that our inclination, our bent is to be independent and self-preserving and all by ourselves because we're self-made men and women and we don't need them. Sunday after Sunday, community group after community group, Discipleship relationship after discipleship. If you just show up, God will meet you there. It really is amazing. So yes, you can sing a song all by yourself, but you can't ecclesia. You can study your Bible all day long, but you can't ecclesia. You can have a good and strong and spiritual conversation on the ninth tee of whatever golf course, but you can't ecclesia. There's something about the gathering that Jesus sees as precious and we need to see it as precious as well. The passage ends with a pretty futuristic idea, encouraging one another as the day is drawing near or as the day approaches. The idea is that we need each other to point us some other place to another story, that there's a bigger, greater story that's happening more than my little bitty story. And I need to look there and I need to anticipate that there will be a horizon that will be broken one day and King Jesus will come back and ransom all of us to ourselves and we need to be encouraged to keep looking farther than just right here because when left to ourselves, we'll just drift and it'll only be my story that will be the most important. It's important for us to ecclesia, to be a part of something in unison. And that's one of the beauties of taking communion every single week is that as believers in Jesus, this is our, plural, this is our altar call where not just one or two of us comes forward for prayer, but we all stand up in need of Jesus, in need of repentance, in need of forgiveness, in need of restoration, knowing that the person and work of Jesus is the only place that you will find those things. And so in his sacrificial death, we will find wholeness and completeness. And we get to do that together as a church body, weekend and week out. 
putting our faith, putting our confirmation, putting our commitment on the line that this is what I believe. And so what is your confession this morning? We would pray that your confession is that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he is your Lord and he is your master and king. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body given for you. And he was taking something that was once whole and he was actually tearing it apart and giving us a visual image about what was about to happen to him. For you to get life, for you to be nourished does not come from this. Your true sustenance and your true nourishment is actually gonna come from the breaking of my body for you. In the same way, he took a chalice of wine. Remember, this was in the middle of just a great festival. And I mean, there were drinks that were flowing during Passover week. I mean, it really was a festival because God had delivered them. So he took a chalice of wine and he shared it with his friends. And then he said this image of gladness, of joy, and this image of a party will now forevermore be taking on a new symbol. That this will be a symbol, not just of gladness, but of great pain. Jesus says, this is the blood of my new covenant that will be poured out for you. Not be consumed, but poured out that I will literally give my life as a ransom for you. And in these two pictures, his broken body and his blood that was poured out, he says, this is how you are going to get, get, be given life, is to receive my brokenness for you. If that's what you believe this morning, it's Jesus's life in the place of yours. It's Jesus's giving and it's your taking. It's his groaning that will become your festival and your party. Your forgiveness is being met here. If you feel that in your heart, we would encourage you to approach these stations uh, all throughout the room. We've got three in the back and I'll be up front here. Um, so feel free to come and, and partake. We've been talking about the community a lot this morning. We would encourage you not to take this meal by yourself. We would encourage you to find someone else to one another this morning to come together and to, to enjoy one another around this table. It really is amazing to have you in this space. I mean, Jake Mahan is here. You guys may not know Jake Mahan, but he helped plant this church. He's a Georgia Bulldog. I love him a lot, but he's here, right? He's here, right? He, came, he comes back every once in a while. It's important to say, man, Jake's here. Beth Kozak is here. Had an unbelievable season of pain and fighting. She's here. This is blessing my heart. This is blessing our hearts. It's a beautiful thing just to show up. God's got great things for us. So let's partake of this table together. Go ahead and stand. And these stations are open to partake whenever you're ready.